0: You're listening to a podcast from Grace Church in Salado, Texas. For more information and resources just like this, visit us online at GraceSalado.com. Good morning. Uh, like Dave said, um, I am the minister to students here, and if we, I haven't had the opportunity to meet you, uh, my name is Corey. And while I have a captive audience, if you are the parent or the grandparent of a student who's sixth through 12th grade, we would love for y'all, for well, not for y'all, but for your student to join us Wednesday nights at 6.30 for middle school, Sunday nights at 6.30 for high school, and in those times, we've been going through the book of Ephesians. But here in our Sunday morning gathering, we have been going through the book of Luke, and as we've been going through this, we've been looking at different encounters that different people have with Jesus, and what we've been seeing in each of these encounters is two things. We've been seeing who Jesus is, and how he changes people's lives. So today, we're gonna watch what happens when a suffering widow encounters Jesus. Or more, more apt, we're gonna see what happens when Jesus goes to a suffering widow and meets her in her suffering. And so what we're gonna see, and what we will know through this encounter, is that Jesus sees those who are suffering, Jesus has compassion on those who are suffering, And Jesus brings new life to those who are suffering. So our text for today will be Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. We're going to be there. Beginning in verse 11. Afterward, he was on his way to a town called Nain. His disciples and a large crowd were traveling with him. Just as he neared the gate of the town, a dead man was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow. A large crowd from the city was also with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said, don't weep. Then he came up and touched the open coffin, and the pallbearer stopped. And he said, young man, I tell you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Then fear came over everyone, and they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has risen among us. And God has visited his people. This report about him went throughout Judea and all the vicinity. This is the word of the Lord. God, I thank you for this message of compassion. And I thank you for this good news of your love that we get to see today. Lord, I ask that, that everything that is occupying our minds and our hearts right now, I ask that you dispel those and, and you clear our thoughts so that we can fully receive this, this good news of your love, of your compassion. God, give us what we need this morning. And the only thing that we need in every single situation is your grace. And so I pray that you give us your grace. Help us to see the Jesus who has died for us and help us to stand in awe of him because of his compassion. It's in your name, Father, that I pray, amen. So to just kind of set the scene here, uh, Luke tells us that Jesus is traveling towards a town called Nyan. And Nyan is just a little bit south of uh, his hometown, Nazareth. And so Jesus is heading into this city, and there's a large crowd following him. And then coming out of the city, you have this other large crowd. And at the head of this large crowd is a dead man. Uh, They're carrying this guy to the place of burial. So at the head of this crowd leaving the city is this dead man, and his mother, who is a widow. And if you notice, Luke is very careful to tell us that she is a widow, and he is careful to paint for us the picture of the position that she's in. Luke is trying to tell us that this woman here is a deeply suffering woman. Uh, The the way things kind of worked in the first century is women couldn't own land. Um, There weren't really jobs for women to have. So she's a widow, she has no husband, and this is her only son who's now dead. So without a man in her family in the first century, the place that this woman was in was destitution. Now that her only son was dead, she was going to have no way to earn a living. She was likely going to have nowhere to live. Um, Later in the gospel, Jesus describes the way people treat widows' homes in their households, and he says that people devour widows' households. And so the place this woman is in is she is destitute and destined for death. And that's the place that we find this woman when Jesus encounters her. And so where, what we have leaving the city or it, is this woman destined for death. But on his way is Jesus, the fullness of the invisible God, the Lord of life himself. So... When this woman is leaving the city and Jesus is coming into the city, Luke tells us this in, uh, in verse 13. When the Lord saw her. So it's important to notice that Jesus saw this woman in particular. Because Luke makes it clear that there's a large crowd following Jesus and there's a large crowd coming out of the city with the woman. And so, naturally, when these two crowds meet, there's an even bigger crowd. Um, I don't know if y'all watched the, the Tennessee Alabama game um, a couple weeks ago. I, I didn't. I don't really watch much football, but I saw a bunch of videos on Twitter um, after the game. Uh, a lot of the students they like stormed the field and they like broke down the goalpost and they ended up like throwing part of it in the Tennessee River, which, ecologically speaking, isn't great, but is still kind of funny. Um, but, anyways, um, when all these people rush the field, that's kind of this picture I have in my mind of how big this crowd. Is here, And, you know, maybe that's not super accurate, but that's what I got in my head is there's all these people meeting in this one place. But Jesus sees this one woman. Jesus sees the one person in that large crowd who is suffering the most. Because Jesus pays attention to the suffering. And it's actually exactly the suffering that Jesus came for. Jesus stated clearly back in chapter 4 what he came to do. We read this in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 through 19. Jesus stands up in the synagogue and reads this statement. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Notice those, the poor, the captives, the blind, the oppressed. Those are the people that Jesus came for. Jesus didn't come for the people who are in power. Jesus didn't come primarily for the people who have everything together or at least look like they have everything together. Jesus came primarily for the oppressed. Jesus came primarily for those who are suffering. Jesus came for this woman. And because he sees her in the large crowd, that's good news for us today because that means if you are in this room and you are suffering, even in this crowd, Jesus sees you just as he saw the woman. But Jesus doesn't just see her. Luke goes on to tell us in verse 13 that when he saw her, the very moment that he saw her, He had compassion on her. Jesus doesn't just, he doesn't see her and he's like, well, should I I do something for her today? I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty busy. I'm traveling. I'm on my way to nine. No, compassion just flows from him immediately. His immediate response to seeing this suffering woman is to have compassion on her. And he tells her not to weep. And now him telling her not to weep isn't trite. It's not just some hollow sentiment. He's not patting her on the back and saying, hey, there, there, I'm sorry, or like shooting out a, hey, thoughts and prayers. No. Jesus can say this, and he can mean it, because he actually has the power to change her situation. Jesus tells her not to weep, not as some kind sentiment, and he's going to go on his way. Jesus tells her not to weep because he's about to do for her exactly what he said happens in the kingdom of God in chapter six. He's about to turn her weeping into laughing. So look at me with a verse at verse 14 to see how he does that. Then he came up and touched the open coffin, and the pallbearers stop. And he said, Young man, I tell you, get and so Jesus walks up and he touches this coffin um, and, you know, everybody stops. They're like, what's this guy doing? This is kind of weird. And then, and then he speaks to this dead body, which seems really weird to us. Um, I, I don't know. I don't, when I go to a funeral, I don't often go up and start, like, talking um, to the casket. But Jesus does. But it's not weird for him because his words have the power to change this situation. Jesus speaks to the dead man and he says, young man, I tell you, get up. And the young man immediately responds and he gets up. At the moment of Jesus's command to this dead man, he gets up because Jesus's command has power over the death that this young man is experiencing. And this young man got up and Jesus gave him to his mother. That's key, that phrase right there, gave him to his mother. Because that's who this thing was for. It is undoubtedly a miracle, and Jesus does and should get the glory for raising this young man. But that wasn't the original reason this happened. It wasn't even for the crowd that Jesus raised this man. It wasn't even for the man himself that Jesus raised him. The primary reason that Jesus raised this man was for his suffering mother, because she was the one who was suffering. And Jesus, who pays attention, who sees the suffering, Jesus, who has compassion on the suffering, he worked to bring new life to this suffering mother. And I think this is a good place to point out uh, actually how little we really know about the widow. Uh, We just, all we know is that she's a widow and her son is dead in um, a lot of these other stories in Luke Luke points out typically something significant about the person that encounters Jesus he might point out their position he might point out their faith he might point out their own coming to Jesus and in fact he does this right in the story before us when when Jesus heals the centurion's servant he he makes Luke make sure to point out the faith of the centurion but he doesn't do that here. He doesn't say, uh, oh, this woman had great faith, and that's why Jesus brought life to her. That's why Jesus healed her son. The only thing that Luke tells us about the widow is that she was suffering, and that she was a widow, and this was her only son. That's all we know. Uh, I I know some of you have lost a child. I, I can't even begin to imagine that level of grief, but but that's the grief that this woman is experiencing. She feels the darkness closing in around her. She is she's weeping. She is weeping so much that she doesn't even know a prayer to pray to lift up to God. She doesn't do anything to ask Jesus for this because she's just consumed with her grief and consumed with her tears and consumed with her weeping. Yet even then, Jesus moves toward her with compassion. She didn't do anything to earn this compassion. It freely flows from Jesus. This new life that Jesus has brought to her situation, Luke doesn't tell us anything about her that seems that she deserves that, because there's nothing she could do to deserve that. There's nothing that she brings to the table besides her weeping, and even then, Jesus shows her compassion in that, and he brings life to her situation. We don't know how righteous or wicked she was. We don't know how faithfully she offered sacrifices in the temple or or attended the festivals. We don't even know how good of a wife or mother she is. All that we know is that she is suffering because none of these other things about her, how, how good or bad she was, does not matter. What matters primarily in this story is that she was suffering. And Jesus' response to suffering people is to see them and to have compassion on them and to bring new life into her situation. And so the people see this great outpouring of compassion culminate in this man being raised from the dead. And what Luke tells us is, understandably, uh, they respond in awe. In verse 16, it says, Then fear came over everyone, and they glorified God, saying. Uh, these two things about Jesus. And so really the only natural response for these people to have is to glorify the one who raised this man to life. Now, you might be sitting there going, wait a minute, Corey. You said they're glorifying the one who did this, but they're, they're glorifying God. They're not glorifying Jesus. Yeah, Exactly. I'll explain further in a little bit, but I think um, my point is really well illustrated by the two identity markers that these people give about Jesus. In chapter 16, they say two different things about Jesus. The first is this a great prophet has risen among us. That's the first thing they say about Jesus. And now, that, that is true, Jesus is a great prophet. Um, in fact, for the last couple of weeks, we've been in, in Luke chapter 6, um, where Jesus is doing prophetic stuff. Like he is teaching, he's giving a word from the Lord, he is acting as a prophet. And so these people are right. Jesus absolutely is a great prophet. But that's an insufficient statement about Jesus' identity. It, it is understandable although that their first reaction would be to call him a prophet, um, because something very similar to this event has already previously happened in Israel's history with the prophet Elijah. And so let's look at that story now in 1 Kings 17, verses 17 through 23, if you want to you turn your Bible there. So in uh, 1 Kings 17, beginning in verse 17. After this, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. His illness got worse until he stopped breathing. So, you know, dead. Uh, She said to Elijah, man of God, why are you here? Have you come to call attention to my iniquity so that my son is put to death? But Elijah said to her, give me your son. So he took him from her arms, brought him up to the upstairs room where he was staying, and laid him on his own bed. Then he cried out to the Lord and said, Lord my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow I am staying with by killing her son? Then he stretched himself out over the boy three times. He cried out to the Lord and said, Lord my God, please let this boy's life come into him again. So the Lord listened to Elijah, and the boy's life came into him again, and he lived. Then Elijah took the boy, brought him down from the upstairs room into the house, and gave him to his mother. Elijah said, look, your son is alive. Uh, Did you notice the similarities in those two stories? Uh, There's quite a bit. You've got, you know, a man of God. Um, You've got a widow whose son has just died. And the man of God comes, and um, he brings healing in this situation. You also notice the one really big difference in this text. Look at verse 21. Then he stretched himself out over the boy three times. He cried out to the Lord and said, Lord, my God, please let this boy's life come into him again. Did you notice it? Do you notice the difference there? Elijah has to ask for this boy to be raised. Elijah is a great prophet. There are many miracles throughout the book of Kings that Elijah does, but in this situation, Elijah, the great prophet, has to ask for this boy to be raised. Elijah, though he is a great prophet, has no power of his own to bring this boy back to life. But if we look back at our story in Luke, Does Jesus have to ask? No. No, if we look back at our story in Luke, Jesus commands this boy to be raised back to life. Yes, Jesus is the great prophet, but even Elijah, the great prophet, had to ask for the son to be raised, but Jesus simply commands it. Whereas Elijah has no power to to raise this boy himself, Jesus does have the power to raise this son. And that's what drives the people in Luke chapter 7 verse 16 to say this fully sufficient statement about Jesus. They say this, God has visited his people. That's a much better statement about Jesus' identity. Not only is he a great prophet, but Jesus himself has the power of God to raise up this son. He's got the power of God, but only God can have the power of God. But that's because Jesus is God. That's why he has this power. And so this fully sufficient statement of who Jesus is, is that God has visited his people. The people are right. God has indeed visited his people, but not just through a prophet. God has become a man in the person of Jesus and visited his people. And he has done this to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and to show compassion to those who are suffering. And it's important to realize that this isn't just something that Jesus does this one time. Jesus showing compassion on this woman is not the outlier. In fact, it's very much the norm. Showing compassion isn't something that Jesus just does occasionally for certain people at certain times. No, compassionate is who Jesus is. We can rest assured that just as Jesus showed compassion to this woman, he'll also show compassion to us. Compassionate is who our God is. Compassionate is who our God has always One of the most repeated phrases about God's character in the Old Testament, we see it first when God reveals himself to Moses, and then God reveals himself as this way to his people for generations and generations to come. And it's this, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and kind, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That is how God reveals himself to us in the person of Jesus compassionate and kind. That is the God who has visited his people. That is who Jesus is, compassionate and kind, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That is the Jesus who saw this woman, who saw this widow in her desperate and suffering situation. That is the Jesus who had compassion on this woman. And that is the Jesus who brought life to her situation. That is also the Jesus that sees you today. If you are suffering through things in your marriage, through your families, with with your health, whatever is going on, Jesus sees you in your suffering. Jesus has compassion on you in your suffering. And Jesus is bringing new life to you in your suffering. Notice how I'm using all these verbs in the present tense. Because these are things that Jesus is actively doing right now. Yeah, sure, Jesus did die. In fact, he died for us when we were still dead in our trespasses and sins, when we were spiritually suffering and dead. We see this most clearly in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. We should all turn there. It's a great passage. Let's all look at it together. It's also on the screen if you don't have a Bible. Uh, There's also a Bible in front of you that you can take home with you uh, if you don't have one. So Paul tells us this about our own condition. He says in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, And you are dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath at the others as the others were also. Let's pause there. That is the condition that we are still or all at one time we're in. At least at some point in our lives, maybe you still are. We were as dead as that man in the coffin. We were as hopeless as this widow who is destitute and herself destined for death. We were all in this place of deep spiritual suffering. But let's see what God did. Let's look at verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, because of his great compassion, he made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace. We were just as dead as that widow's son. We were just as helpless as that widow. But even in the midst of that, even in the midst of our spiritual suffering that we may not even, well, we weren't aware of at the time. Even then, God had compassion on us. Jesus had compassion on us. Jesus, because of his compassion for us, he died in our place. He bore the curse that we were supposed to bear for our sins on the cross so that we could have new life in his name. Jesus, then three days later, he rose from the grave, conquering death. You thought this was good when he raised this man. He himself rose from the grave three days later and then he went up and ascended into heaven to be seated at the right hand of God above every ruler and authority, above every title that is given in both this age and in the one to come. Our Lord Jesus is alive and he is seated in the heavens. And because of that, because nothing can overtake him, because he himself has overcome the world we can rest assured that he sees us in our suffering. He has compassion on us in our suffering. And even when we can't see it, he's working to bring life to our suffering. Just as Jesus died to end our spiritual suffering, he's working to end all suffering. Uh, Hopefully that comes now, but... As we sang, as we sang when we sang the song, oh, praise the name. Even if our suffering doesn't end now, Jesus Christ himself is coming back from the heavens for his people. He is coming back to us and there will be no more weeping. There will be no more mourning. All of our weeping will then be turned in to laughing because this Jesus, God became a human being in this Jesus to have compassion on us. And to die for us. The God who only one man one time a year could come in and and, and approach. That God has become a man to die for us. So that now people of every tribe, every tongue and every nation can have boldness and confident access to this God who has compassion on us. That same Jesus who has compassion on us is coming back for us. And so we should join the people With the only natural response that we can have to that is just praise God for that. That's the the beauty of this is there's nothing to do. The woman didn't earn Jesus' compassion. There is nothing we can do to earn Jesus' compassion. You can't earn compassion. You can't earn mercy. You can't earn the steadfast love of the Lord. It is a free gift that flows from him in everything that he does. Everything. He saves us because of his love, because of his compassion. Our salvation only because, only comes because of Ephesians 2, because of the great love that God has for us. It is by grace and only grace that we are saved. And in the same way, it is only by grace that God will bring an end to our suffering. You can't be a good enough husband or a good enough wife to end the suffering in your marriage. God's got to heal that situation. You can't be a good enough mother or father or son or daughter or brother or sister to end the suffering in your family. Jesus has to bring life to that situation. Jesus and Jesus alone is our only hope for life and our only hope for new life to come. So let's join the people in the natural response to that. Let's sing praises to the God who has deep and free compassion on us in our suffering. Lord God, I thank you. Man, I, th- I thank you for this good news. I thank you that we get to sit here and be the recipients of this. I thank you that we get to leave these doors and then be the proclaimers of this good news. I thank you that we get to rejoice and get to sing to you because of the great love that you have had on us. I thank you that, that you have not only saved us in our spiritual suffering, but you save us from every form of suffering, whether in this life or in the one to come. Father, I pray that you would be made great in every single situation. I ask that your name and your name alone be glorified because you, Jesus, are our only hope. May we praise you for that, for your compassion, for your mercy, for your love. Amen.